You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to be in First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit. I hope it makes sense. Pick up what I'm pick up what I'm dropping. Pick up what I'm putting down. First um, Thessalonians chapter First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. Um, so raise your hand. Quick poll. Um, do you remember? Do you remember your favorite teacher, or do you currently have a favorite teacher? Raise your hand. Some of y'all like me. All right. Some of y'all didn't like any of y'all teachers. Okay, that's fine. Um, skilled and gifted teachers are an amazing, amazing thing. A, 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 a quality, skilled teacher can motivate and reach kids in profound ways. I, in fifth grade, I was that kid, so I got transferred to um, an alternative school for at, at-risk youth. Um, yeah, I was on the brink of, you know, just by God's grace, I stand here. So I was transferred to the school, and it was for kids who, who they didn't think were going to graduate, and they didn't think had a future. So I, I was transferred to the school, and I met Mr. Washington. I, I never met a man like this in my entire life. Uh, a little bit about me. My, my father uh, was and still is a heroin addict, and all the men in my immediate family were alcoholics. So I, I had never seen a functional adult male in my life. Mr. Washington changed my view of manhood. He was intelligent. He was articulate. He, he had a presence. He commanded respect. I wanted to be like him. This was the first man I ever encountered that I wanted to be like. My other favorite teacher was my pastor, Pastor Herbert Singleton. He pastored this little storefront church and still faithfully serves there. And he, he discipled me. He showed me what it was to to love and to serve his wife. And he showed me personal holiness and reliance on the Holy Spirit and, and, and a commitment to scripture that I still attempt to follow and live by today. I'm sure you have similar stories of how a, a teacher or a spiritual leader or a pastor profoundly impacted your life. This, this letter of 1 Thessalonians is a, a letter from a spiritual teacher, from a spiritual father to his loving students. These were, uh, the, the Christians in Thessalonica were, were new Christians and they were filled with questions and they didn't understand everything. So Paul wrote this little letter to encourage them to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 17 tells us that, that Paul planted this church and he visited the temple for three weeks in a row and, 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 and some Jews and some Greeks, some God-fearing Greeks began to grab the gospel and this little church sprung up. In the middle of this little church planning effort, um, the, the, the people were so angry, the outsiders were so angry, Paul preached and a riot broke out. I've never preached a sermon that, are, that incited a riot. I hope to do that one day. <laughs> Maybe it's today. You know, we'll see. Um, so, so, so the second, second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul begins to uh, express his motives and his method for ministry and his, his deep and profound concern and his appreciation, appreciation for the, the saints of Thessalonica. So, so here's, my, here's my main idea, big idea, whatever phrase you use. This is what I want you to take away from this message. It is all about the mission, not me. It's all about the mission. It's all about the ministry. Uh, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, uh, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go and be my witnesses. 
It is all about the mission, not me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So Paul is reminding them that, that, that his time in Thessalonica and his ministry in Philippi were fruitful despite suffering opposition, despite uh, persecution, despite a riot. Paul is saying that there was fruit. There was, uh, 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 the gospel was preached faithfully, literally facing life-threatening situations and circumstances. Paul and his companion Silas were faithful messengers and faithful ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, he would go on to uh, remind them of his approach to ministry. Look at verse uh, 3 through 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. For our exhortation did not come uh, from error or impurity or intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have uh, been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, verse 6. And we did not seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So, so l listen to Paul, listen to how he describes his ministry again. He said, we didn't come in error, we didn't uh, come to deceive, um, we, were in, we were approved and entrusted with the gospel. We didn't speak to please people, but to please God. And we didn't use flattery words, and we didn't, use, and we didn't have greedy motives. Paul declares that his intent, his motives, his actions were from God, not to please man. He said, uh, uh, I didn't try to, uh, I didn't use manipulation and compulsion and I didn't attempt to deceive people and I didn't just, I didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. What is he saying? What, what is Paul saying? Well, he, he's saying that there was purity in his motives and purity in his message. Salvation is not a result of a, a, a clever argument and, and salvation in Jesus Christ is not a result of a, a skilled presentation. Salvation that comes from Christ is a result of the gospel proclaimed and the power of the Holy Spirit changing hearts. I believe. Am I in a safe place? I'm going to say it anyway. But um, so uh, I, I believe many of us, we, we feel that, um, that often we preach and often we share the gospel. We, we think that people are rejecting the gospel. That is true. They are rejecting the gospel. But I believe that often people are rejecting our presentation of the gospel. It was once said that there are a lot of people who desire God, but he just has some bad PR people. Some people are rejecting the gospel. Some people are stiff-arming our, our, our gospel presentation. But there are times that we present the gospel, and it may be with some convoluted words or some flattery words, or we just may be confusing the people. Paul said, I came and I proclaimed Jesus, not to try to please man, not to, I didn't dull the edge of the gospel so it can be more palatable. I didn't convolute it. I, I, I gave them straight gospel presentation. 
Again, Paul said that his, his, his motives and his message were pure. If we were honest with ourselves, there are times that we make it about us, not the gospel. If, if, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times that our motives aren't 100% pure. Paul is articulating that it was all about the mission and not about him. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we serve and hope to get something in return. It may be affirmation. It may be acknowledgement. It may be appreciation. Uh, uh, how often do we serve? How often do we do something and attempt to snatch a little bit of Jesus' glory? How often do we tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear? Paul said, I came and I preached Christ, and, and I didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. I told them that they needed a savior. I didn't preach and I didn't proclaim and I didn't share the gospel to please man. I came to please God and God alone. Again, the mission is not about us. The mission is all about the Messiah. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was approached by John and James. They came and they said, hey, Jesus, when you enter into your glory, let one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand. And the other 10 heard this and they were irate. They were indignant. They were upset. Again, the 12 men who followed Jesus, the 12 men who knew him intimately were making it about them and not the Messiah. They were making it about them and not the mission. Jesus declared that the greatest among you will be a servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. Then Jesus says something amazing. Then, then the Lord Jesus says something amazing. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate act of service, the, the ultimate act of selflessness was the creator of all dawning humanity and coming to rescue his creation from doom and despair through his death. Through his death for us in our place, the Lord Jesus, the suffering servant, saved us from our selfishness and our self-centeredness. The ultimate act of servitude, the, the ultimate act of selflessness was the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. Notice this. Paul is saying that, that his ministry, the ministry of Paul and Silas, was marked by gentleness Grace and TLC. He, he said that, imagine this, and Paul was a man's man. Paul was a dude. I mean, bit by, bit by snakes, stoned, left for dead. Paul was a man's man. Paul said, when I came, I was as a nursing mother, gentle, tender, patient. Notice this, 
Paul is saying that his ministry, his, 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 his gospel ministry amongst the people was like a, a nursing mother, not an older sibling. Not an older sibling. See, I, I, I could talk about her because she's not here, um, unless she snuck in the back somewhere. My, I love my oldest daughter. She's an amazing help. But we call her mom, too. <laughs> we, we call my oldest daughter mom, too, because... She's loving and she's helpful, and, and, and I, I love it now because she's a teenager. I can leave the house and leave her alone with the kids. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but, but sometimes she's very impatient and harsh, and she lacks grace. She, she will make punishments and discipline my children harder than I will sometimes. It's crazy. We call her mom, too. But, but often our discipleship looks like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son and not like this nursing mom. Remember the older brother? Remember the, the, prodigal, the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son? Remember the older brother? Judgmental. Hypercritical. Shame and guilt driven. Unrealistic expectations. Performance based. Harsh, lacking grace, often that's what our ministry, often that's what our discipleship looks like. Paul said, I came as a nursing mother, not an older brother. I love Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus is sending out his disciples. He said, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. In my ministry context, again, I live in Detroit. I learned very early that we had to handle people with care because they were very fragile and very broken. Without hyperbole, without exaggeration, uh, the people that we encounter weekly are trapped in generational poverty, various types of abuse, various types of parental neglect. We have teenagers that come to our church that have not spoken to their parents in months. V various undiagnosed mental and emotional issues and the consequent trauma thereof. Oh, and by the way, they are sinners enslaved by Satan. We learned that we have to be patient and gracious and, 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 and long-suffering, and we have to celebrate each small step toward the Lord Jesus Christ because conversion may be slow and maturity takes even longer. Some of the people that we baptized just a few months ago, we've been walking with for years. Called to the house at 3 o'clock in the morning. Bailed out of jail. Patient. Our approach should be like a mother feeding their child milk. Not how I am attempting to give my 7-year-old her vegetables. <laughs> what would happen... What would happen, that, that person that you maybe have given up on, that person that gets on your nerves, neighbor, coworker, classmate, what would happen if we handled that person like fine china and not disposable plates? C could you imagine what would happen if, if we showed people a tenth of the grace that God has given us? What, what would happen if we were grace-driven and not guilt-driven? Said I was like when I was there, I was like a, a nursing mother. I was patient. I was tender. I love verse eight. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives. 
because you've become so dear to us. So, so Paul is saying, Paul is saying that, that, that Silas and himself were so fond of the, the, Thessal, uh, the people in Thessalonica that they held nothing back. They gave them everything. They loved them so dearly they were motivated to share their very lives with them. Please hear this. Real missions is more than your message. Real ministry is more than your message. Yes, we declare the gospel. Yes, we preach Christ. But real mission is sharing the gospel and your life. We know how, uh, if you've been around church, you've heard this. And, and Acts chapter 2 describes how the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking bread. And all the believers were together and they had all things in common and they shared their possessions. And every day they were devoted to meeting together in the temple and breaking bread. These people lived their lives together. They shared their lives with one another. Church is not a time or a place. And our mission, mission is more than just something we do. It's our life. We live together as a church. We cry together as a church. We pray together. We share meals. We share our very lives together with the attempt to make Jesus known to a lost and dying world. True discipleship is lovingly opening your life and sharing what you have with others with the intent to share the gospel with them. And Paul and Silas said, because you were so dear to us, because we were so fond of you, we gave you the gospel and we gave you our very lives. But even before this, even before Paul's ministry, we see this model perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, 16. This is how we know we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If, he, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those should live no longer for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Did you catch that? We're, we're, we're motivated by love because we have a loving Savior. We are motivated to share our lives, to open our homes, to share the gospel. We're motivated by love because we have a loving Savior, not out of obligation. Friends, this is the gospel message that we, that we stand on, that the Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much, he laid down his life for us despite us being wicked and undeserving. He loved us so much, he lived a sinless life and fulfilled the law of God because we could never do it. The Lord Jesus loved us so much, he accepted the judgment and the wrath of God that we earned and gave us grace, mercy, and forgiveness instead. He loved us so much that he welcomed us into the family of God and he clothed us in his righteousness through his sacrificial death and resurrection. So as a response, as a response of all that Jesus has done and all that we have now in the Lord Jesus Christ, we lovingly open our lives up. As a response to the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the cause of Christ. Because Jesus died for us, we now die to our lives. Because Jesus gave everything to save and redeem us, we now give everything to make him known and to make him famous. 
Who are you sharing your life with? Who, who, who are you sharing your life with? Who are you spiritually investing in? Who's spiritually investing in you? Paul said, we didn't, we, we, we love the people so much, we didn't just give them the gospel, we gave them our lives. We were motivated by the love and sacrifice of our Savior. Let's keep reading. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we uh, were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return to see you face to face. Verse 18. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Paul is continuing to reiterate his strong affection and his strong desire to visit his dear gospel family in Thessalonica. But he concludes that there was satanic interference in his way. That word hindered uh, is a mil military term that's used to describe the attack of the enemy or, or uh, uh, building your trap or building a trap for your opponents. The, the, the apostle Paul is keenly aware that, that, that he had a real-life enemy who was attempting to halt and hinder his gospel ministry. If this was a reality for Paul... Why wouldn't we think this is a reality to us? If, if Paul concluded that the enemy was attempting to halt and hinder his progress, what makes us any different? How often do we forget we have a real-life enemy who hates us, who hates our God, and wants to see as many people burn in hell with him as possible? Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 um, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and, and, the, and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so you can uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle isn't against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. When you decide that you're going to stand on the gospel and you're going to live to make Jesus known, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. When you sign up, as the old saints would say in my old church, for the Christian Jubilee, when you, when you raise the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. When you are attempting to rescue people from the pits of hell, you make yourself a target. You make your family a target. You wouldn't believe some of the stories I could tell you about the enemy attacking our family, attacking our work in Detroit. Around this time last year, we had a demon-possessed woman manifesting in our service, and I had to tell her she couldn't come back. When you are attempting to plant, replant, and multiply churches, you are disturbing the kingdom of darkness. What's our weapon? How do we fight against this? How do we fight against the, the opposition of the enemy? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is so crucial. Prayer is so crucial. We, we cannot... Uh, withstand and counterattack 
the enemy's attacks on our mission without prayer. Let's continue to cover each other in prayer, cover the saints all across the world, the saints in Sri Lanka. We have brothers and sisters who name the name of Jesus who are meeting in secret. Let's cover them in prayer. Let's continue to make much prayer and much supplication and many requests known because we have an enemy who seeks to hinder the advance of the kingdom of God. How much time do you spend praying for your leadership? H how much time do you spend praying for missionaries and church planners all across the globe who are pushing back darkness in very dark places? Do you regularly pray for the gospel to advance here in Sioux Falls? Yes, Satan is active. Yes, Satan seeks to hinder, but he will not succeed his efforts to thwart God's work. Despite Satan's attempts, despite st Satan standing in the way, it's like standing in front of a Mack truck. The kingdom will advance. Christ defeated him. Christ defeated the works of Satan on the cross. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put open shame to them, triumphing over them. Through his death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ disarmed and dismantled the power of Satan once and for all. Through his death on the cross in his victorious resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over death, and victory over shame. And one day, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and vanquish his enemies and establish his kingdom on earth. I long for that day. I'm wrapping up, as, as I would say in my church, I'm, I'm turning down my street. I'm pulling in my driveway in a few minutes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory. And joy. Paul's hope, his joy, his, his, his crown was the people. Again, the mission and the ministry is not about me. The mission is not about us. It's about seeing the lost be found. It's about seeing the spiritually dead come to life and mature in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that his joy was knowing that his sacrifices on earth had eternal ramifications. His hope was knowing that he would spend eternity worshiping with these brothers and sisters. His crown or his prize was knowing that the seeds he planted on earth would one day produce fruit in God's heavenly garden. He says, my crown, my hope, my joy is you. Be encouraged. Find joy that our labor is not in vain. And that, that people will come and know and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll spend eternity worshiping with them. Find great joy in knowing that the attacks of the enemy against our family, the, the attacks of the enemy against our church will one day cease when the Lord returns. Find great joy in knowing that 
if we give our lives away, we'll live eternally in Christ's kingdom. I love Paul references the Lord's return, the Lord's coming. I'm going to close here. In Revelation 7, verse 9, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Revelation 7, verse 9, 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and branches in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. One day, all of our efforts, all of our labor, all that we invest in the kingdom of God will come to fruition when we stand in that great multitude with all the saints of old, all the saints that have passed. And those to come as one body, worshiping the Lamb of God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it. Again, I, I grew up in a traditional black church context, and I wonder why they always sung about heaven. Why all these, like, why these old folk always want to sing about heaven? But now I long for that day. I long for that day. When I'll take my crown off and I'll cast it at the feet of the risen Lord Jesus. It'll all be worth it. All the sacrifice, all the toil, all, the, all that we offer on earth will all be worth it when we see the face of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you much glory because you redeemed us. You saved us. You, 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 and you are now in the process of even sanctifying us, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus. And one day we'll be glorified. One day we'll, we'll shed this body of death. And we'll be glorified with our Lord. Father, remind us that you did not call us to be spectators. You called us to be servants. You called us and you've given us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 15, the, the ministry of reconciliation to see those who are far from you be reconciled. Lord, remind us as we get uh, caught up in the busyness of life that, that it's not about us. You've called us to a great cause. You've called us to make you known to a lost and dying world. God, I pray for this church. I pray that, that many, many, many come to know and follow Jesus through your people here. That neighbors and classmates and, uh, 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 and people who are far from you, coworkers, atheists, people who denounce you, people who are skeptical, people who are antagonistic to the gospel, I pray that through the love, the tender care, and the gospel declarations and the patience, in the working of your spirit, that many come to know and follow Jesus Christ through Connection Church. We pray that you continue to be with our brothers and sisters who are worshiping you in secret, who are worshiping you in danger for their lives. God, I pray that you give them that boldness to declare your gospel. 
that many come to know and follow Jesus, and we stand as that great multitude. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ.